All right, good morning, Watermark. Good morning. Uh, before I uh, start, I just want to say happy birthday, Pastor Allen. <laughs> I was just thinking about uh, uh, this past week. Uh, the, the first time I met Pastor Allen, uh, this was uh, four, five years ago. Uh, I was working at Corner Bakery, and I was a server, busser, cleaner, and uh, he was he was there with another um, another brother and. Uh, yeah, I was serving him breakfast, and, and uh, it was all history from there. So <laughs> I'm uh, just super blessed to, to call uh, Watermark Fellowship uh, my church and, and just sitting under the teaching and preaching of Pastor Allen. So um, we're just happy to celebrate uh, his birthday today. Um, so if you remember the movie Finding Nemo, I, I think a couple times ago I used the same uh, movie for il- illustration, but... Maybe I just love the movie. But in Finding Nemo, there's this scene where uh, Marlin and Dory, uh, they just dodged this submarine that was uh, crashing, about to crush them. And so in the commotion, they drop a very important item. If you guys remember, it was the uh, scuba goggles. And the goggles begin to sink down uh, to the depths of the, you know, the dark uh, water, the ocean floor. So they start swimming into the deep and they begin to see this light. I'm a little picture. Um, they see this small little light, and uh, Dory says, what is it? And Marlon said, it's so pretty. I'm feeling happy. I want to touch it. But as Dory and Marlon merely follow this light, they suddenly realize that the light was actually part of an anglerfish. Uh, if you guys don't know much about an anglerfish, I actually did some uh, quick Wikipedia research on it. Uh, the feature that anglerfish are most known for is the piece of their dorsal spine uh, that they use to catch prey. And it's, um, it's actually bacteria um, that, that glows. I don't, I don't know the whole science behind it. Um, just, just believe me. Um, and that little light right there is actually what the anglerfish uses as bait. Um, so just as Marlin and, and Dory were attracted to it, thinking that, hey, this is a really um, fun little light. Um, this is, this, it's, it's innocent. It's not, you know, harmful. Uh, but in reality, it was actually um, destructive. Uh, it could have cost them their life. And so this tip, this fleshly growth is luminous and it serves as bait to lure in prey. In our world today, there are so many people who claim to speak from God. So many teachers, leaders, and organizations are leading countless people away from the truth by teaching things that are are just not aligned with God's word and his will. And like the anglerfish, spiritual error often seems innocent. It seems friendly and it seems attractive, but it is ultimately destructive. We're continuing our series on 1 John, so if you have your Bibles, I uh, in- invite you to turn to the book of 1 John. Uh, we're going to look at 1 John chapter 4, um, on the assurance of salvation. That's the series that we're in right now. And t- this morning, we're going to look at test number 9. Um, I know there's a lot of tests, but I'm going to uh, give you another test right now. How many of you guys know what last week's test was? This is a pop quiz, not a test. So last week was uh, test number eight, right? We, we talked about um, prayer. Tim talked about um, answered prayers. Are we experiencing answered prayers? 
Um, and this morning, we're going to look at, can you discern between spiritual truth from error? Can you distinguish between what is actually true of God's word and what is false? So uh, before we continue, let me just pray. Um, our Heavenly Father, I just ask that you will fill um, us with your spirit. Lord, teach us and guide us into all truth. Uh, Father, we hold on to your promise that uh, for those who are in Christ, you are uh, continually sanctifying us in your truth. Your word, Father, is truth. Father, may you speak to us uh, this morning. Help us to be uh, better discerners of your word, um, that we will not just blindly follow whatever sounds good and whatever feels good, but that we will always put it to the test to make sure that it is actually and truly from you, Father. I pray these things in your name. Amen. So let me just give a quick uh, roadmap of where we're going to go this morning. So I have a couple points. Uh, first, first, we're going to look at what we are called to do. So this is the what. Um, then we're going to look at the why, the seriousness of error. Why is it so important for us to discern between spiritual truth and error? And then um, next, we're going to look at the how. How do we actually go about discerning between spiritual truth and error? So we have the what, the why, and the how, okay? So let's just jump right into it. So first, what are we called to do? John begins by giving this imperative calling to the believers. So look at verse 1 of chapter 4 with me. By the way, we're in 1 John, not the Gospel of John. So um, 1 John chapter 4, uh, starting in verse 1, it says, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. So there are a few things that we can observe uh, in this commandment to test. So first there is a command to stop doing something. Um, and there's also a command to start doing something, right? So it says stop believing every spirit. We're not supposed to be just gullible Christians believing in, in whatever people say, whatever we hear, whatever we read. So John is saying, don't just believe without thinking, without testing. Um, most of you guys know that Catherine and I, we, we recently moved into our new home in Chino. Um, and with our new home comes a lot of... Um, uh, a lot of expensive, a lot of purchasing new appliances and furniture. Um, and so we actually finally got uh, our TV uh, yesterday, so praise God. Um, but if you ever bought any you know, new furniture, new, new appliance, whatever it is, there's always a user manual in there, right? And in the manual, typically, um, almost always in the front, it, it, there's a warning section, right? It says stop, warning, uh, warning. Um, read before continuing. Um, and often it says um, things like, do not use under high pressures or temperatures, or do not use while appliances turned upside down, or stop immediately if unit begins to leak. So these are very important. Um, you don't want to miss these things uh, lest you damage uh, the, the equipment. You, you, you might injure yourself. You might burn the whole house down just because you did not heed to this warning. On the, on the user manual. So likewise, John is conveying this sense of, uh, of warning and urgency when he says, stop, 
Uh, the idea is if you are just blindly believing in, in whatever people are, are saying, I'm saying, hey, I, I have a message from the Lord. God spoke to me, and this is what he wants me to tell you. Paul or, or John is saying, stop. Don't, don't just blindly follow. This is a, a warning and a caution. But then we are also to start doing something. John says, stop believing and start testing the spirits. So believers, we are to be active in continually putting to test the things that we hear, the things that we see, and the things that we read. So John is saying, don't believe everything just because it sounds good or feels good or you know, I cried after that sermon, so it must be true. You know, I had this emotional high, so it must be true. John says, no, put it to the test. Because it may or may not be the word of God. What we also see in this command is the goal or the aim of the test. So what is the goal of testing the spirits? The goal is to see whether the spirit is from God. So what John has in mind when he says spirits, um, he's not talking about, you know, these like, you know, crazy demon possessed um, people that need exorcism. Um, what, he's, what, he, what he means by spirit is the, the energizing spirit the, or, or the influence, influencing spirit that is behind every uh, person who claims to be speaking um, or, or, or claims to be speaking from God. So He's, what, what he has in mind, he's not talking about, you know, these uh, news channels that are, um, you know, uh, talking about current events or he's not talking about governors or politics um, claiming, you know, hey, the science shows that X, Y, and Z. Well, what he has in mind is specifically um, those uh, human teachers who are claiming to be speaking from God, but may or may not be. So that's what he means by spirit, the, 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 the human teachers. Um, behind every preacher, behind every teacher, behind every author, behind every artist is a spirit that is moving in and through this particular person. And like those warning sections of a user manual, manual John is telling believers to watch out. Watch out, be careful, test to see whether this person, this book you're reading, is actually and truly from God. So this call to test is for all believers. It is not just for those who have gone through seminary or who, who've been uh, Christians for you know, 10 years or who are pastors and leaders of a church. This test is, um, the call to test is for all believers. This is an imperative calling for all who claim to believe in Jesus. So if right now you are sitting here and you say, I believe in Jesus, um, I, I trust him, I have a relationship with him, then this is something that you are called to do, that you are called to test every spirit. Okay, so that is the what. Pretty straightforward, right? Um, next, we're going to go to the why. Why is it so important that we test every spirit? So our second point is the seriousness of error. John continues in verse 1. He says, for many false prophets have gone out into the world. How many prophets have gone out into the world? Many, not just a couple, not just a few, but many false prophets have gone out into the world. So what are we dealing with here as 
a body as believers in Christ. Why is John so worked up about believers having to diligently test every spirit, making sure that it's from God? Why can't we just be, you know, like, like the world is asking of Christians? Why can't we just be tolerant, open-minded um, people who just accepts and believes, you know, hey, if it's true for you, then great, then that's true for you. Truth is just relative. You know, why can't we just be Christians like that, you know, more friendly people to this world? Why take so much time and making sure that, hey, are, is what you're saying actually true? Because if it's not, then you need to stop saying it if you're claiming to be from God. Why can't we just love God and just be friends with, with everybody, with the world? Just say whatever they want to hear. Because if we do that, I'm, I'm sure our seats would be all filled by now. But John says it's, it's because there are many deliberately deceptive people who pretend to be messengers of God. There are many people like this. And whenever the truth and glory of God is on the line, it is never a minor thing. How many of you guys have heard of Japan Airlines Flight 123? Oh, just Derek. <laughs> uh, so Japan Airlines Flight 123 was considered one of the worst um, aviation disasters in, in aviation history. On August 12th, 1985, Japan Flight 123, which was a Boeing 747, took off from Tokyo's Haneda Airport and was heading to Osaka International Airport. And just 12 minutes into the flight, the aircraft suffered a sudden massive decompression and crashed into the mountainous region below. Of the 524 souls on board, 524, only four survived. 520 people died that day on flight 123 Japan Airlines. But what caused this fatal disaster? Was it, you know, was it shot down? Um, was it uh, 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 just a, a natural disaster that they get struck by lightning? Well, several years earlier, prior to this, um, uh, this accident, the aircraft suffered a tail strike. How many of you guys know what a tail strike is? Uh, so when the, uh, you know, just picture an, an airplane. Uh, so when it lands, it actually lands with its main wheels first. So it kind of pitches up. Um, so if you pitch your plane too high, then the back part of the plane is going to hit, hit, hit the runway, hit the ground. So that's what we call a tail strike. Um, so several years er uh, earlier, this aircraft, the same aircraft suffered a tail strike um, incident upon landing. There were no fat fatalities. It was a pretty bad incident, but nobody was, uh, no, nobody died, nobody was injured. But the incident did cause a crack in the back part of the plane. Um, so, I mean, the technicians knew because everybody felt the, the, the big jolt on landing. So the technicians repaired the, the damage and the aircraft returned to service. The repair, however, did not conform to Boeing's approved repair methods. It was actually a simple repair. It was pretty straightforward. But it was a, a simple repair that was overlooked. And this error by these technicians led to the death of 520 people. 
Can you just imagine what those technicians were feeling when they found out that it was because of their error in their repairs several years ago? So why is discerning spiritual truth and error so important? Why is it so vital? Because of the glory of God. Because if we don't get this right, it will cost you your life. And if others don't get it right, it can cost them their eternal life. And that's what the enemy is, is after. Right? The Bible says the enemy wants to, what, steal, kill, and what, destroy. He is a roaring lion seeking for people to devour, to keep them away from coming to Jesus, the author and giver of eternal life. And you know what? The most effective way that Satan does this, is he doesn't come in guns blazing, um, you know, with, 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 with horns and a pitchfork. No, rather he tries to deceive. He tries to, to infiltrate the church from within. He tries to make his message appear to be true, but in reality, it is poisonous and ultimately leads to death. He often uses the Trojan horse to infiltrate the church and slowly spread his lies. So yes, we, we are being persecuted. We're being attacked from um, outside the church. You know, we, we, can, we can point you know, to you know, the government, to politics, this and that. Um, but the real danger that the, the apostles and, and Jesus were, were always warning his people is the danger from within. I mean, this was even the case from the very beginning, right? Remember Adam and Eve? How did the serpent tempt Adam and Eve? Did he come looking like a, a you know, dark red and, and black devilish monster with horns, a pitchfork, and saying, eat this now? No, he didn't say that. What did he say? He said, did God really say to not eat from the fruit? Is that what God really said? I mean, are you really going to, like, die literally? You know, or was God just kind of being, um, you know, just exaggerating, right? Is, is he, did he really say this? Did he, did he really mean that? I don't think he really meant that you're going to die. I think he might just be withholding something good from you. I mean, who doesn't want prosperity? Who doesn't want good health? So if God isn't giving you these things, then maybe you're not believing in the right God. So maybe you should believe in the God that I'm teaching you, who will give you all of these promises, who will give you all of these, you know, afford, right, for Tim, or money, whatever it is. God's just withholding something from, from you, don't you think so? This is how Satan attacks the church. This is how Satan deceives people. He, he, he's, he's giving people this apple covered with, you know, almonds and, and you know, chocolate and, and caramel. And it's like, oh, do you want it? It's good. But it's a poisonous apple that leads to death. John is not the only one who warns us of this. Let's take a look at a few others um, in, in Scripture that have warned about these false prophets. Jesus warns us in Matthew seven fifteen. 
Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but what are they inside? What are they actually inwardly? They are ravenous wolves. Matthew 24, 11, many false prophets will arise. Many will arise and lead many astray. They're going to lead people away from the truth, the way, and the life. The Apostle Paul says in Acts 20, 29-30, I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come, to, uh, will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. The Apostle Peter said in 2 Peter 2, 1, But false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you, who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who brought them. And what is the result? bringing upon themselves swift destruction. In a recent survey from Ligonier Ministries, 52% of American adults believe that Jesus was a great teacher, but nothing more. 52% of American adults believe this. And nearly a third of evangelicals also support this view. Just let that sink in for, for, for a moment. 52% of American adults are believing that Jesus is a great teacher, but nothing more. And nearly a third of evangelicals also support that view. Looking at these shocking statistics, Stephen Nichols, uh, president of Reformation Bible College, said, it's clear that the church does not have the luxury of idly standing by. This is a time for Christians to study the scripture diligently, engage confidently with people in our culture, and witness fearlessly to the identity and saving work of Jesus Christ in the gospel. Beloved, if mechanical error could lead to the physical death of 520 people, how much greater would spiritual error cause? We must test every spirit to make sure that it is from God. So now we get to the how. So how do I, you know, do I talk to Dr. Kelly and sign up for seminary class? <laughs> it's like, yeah, maybe. <laughs> Um, so let's talk about how we can test the spirits and how we can discern between spiritual truth and error. Um, so sometimes we, maybe, maybe some of you are thinking, Matt, that is a daunting task. Um, discerning this, you know, and, and now that I say, hey, if, you, if, if we don't get this right, you know, people's souls are on the line, you know, thanks for putting the pressure on, on, on us, right? Um, but let me first give you uh, three tests, um, and then we'll, we'll close with some encouragement. So three tests uh, to, to, to keep in your tool belt. I mean, there, there's, there's certainly more, more ways that we can um, uh, be better discerners, but um, I think uh, these are, you know, in, you know this is, these are a good start. 
um, and probably some of them are key, are, are, are most important. Um, so the first test is the doctrine test. Okay, so this is to test um, central, primary, core doctrines, and, and when we say doctrines, just beliefs about the Christian faith. So this is to test these core primary doctrines. Um, in, and in our passage, in this case, it is a Christological doctrine, meaning it is centered around the person and nature of Christ. So John says in verse 2, look at verse 2 with me. He says, by this you know the Spirit of God. This is how you know. This is the litmus test, right? This is the doctrine test. Every spirit that confesses, Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. So in other words, a true teacher of God must confess this core primary doctrine concerning the person and nature of Jesus. And that is that Jesus Christ, the Messiah of God, has come in the flesh he is the incarnation of God. He is fully God and fully man. And it is on this truth, this key core doctrine, that authentic Christianity stands or falls. That Jesus, the second person of the triune God, is fully divine and fully man. Um, and, and these, um, there were so many uh, false teachings, false preachers, and heresies going um, around um, especially during uh, the time of the early church. Um, there are a lot of teachings going around that, that, that said God was fully God, but not fully man. Maybe he just appeared to be man. Or maybe he was fully man, but he was not fully God. Or maybe he was 50% God, 50% man. Or maybe he kind of just keeps going back and forth. But all of these, it sounds like, okay, what's the big deal, right? What's the difference between 100% God, 100% man, versus 50% God, 50% man. But if we get these wrong, if we say that God is not fully God and not fully man at the same time, then that is, these are huge implications for the gospel. So when trying to discern if the spirit of a messenger is truly from God, we can ask, what is this person or message proclaiming about the person and nature of Jesus Christ. That he is eternally and fully God, one with God, and that he came down in the form of human, uh, human flesh and dwelt among us. I mean, this, this is important to, and, and, and the essence of the saving message of the gospel, is it not? That Jesus Christ, the Son of God, fully divine, humbled himself, took on human flesh, I like what uh, Davis Mathis, uh, David Mathis said in his article, Jesus is Fully Human. Uh, listen to what he said. Jesus is like us in every respect. Human body, or human body, human heart, mind, and will, except for sin. How amazing that the divine Son of God would not just take on part of our humanity on that first Christmas, but all of it and then take that true humanity all the way to the cross for us, and now into heaven and the new creation. Jesus took a human body to save our bodies. And he took a human mind to save our minds. Without becoming man in his emotions, he could not have rescued our hearts. 
And without taking a human will, he could not have saved our broken and wandering wills. He became man in full so that he might save us in full. He is a truly marvelous savior. To deny this fundamental doctrine of the person and nature of Jesus Christ is nothing short of the spirit of the Antichrist. Antichrist against Christ, right? So if you are not speaking the truth of Christ, then you are, in essence, against Christ, Antichrist. And this is just one of many primary core doctrines or, or beliefs of our Christian faith um, that are non-negotiable. Do you guys know what non-negotiables mean, right? Um, it, it's like if you are, um, when I was dating Catherine, um, you know, I mean, we all make these listener ads, right? You, you know, hey, you know, I, I, it would be nice if this person, you know, um, enjoys this, likes this, loves this. But then there are like non-negotiables or these are like deal breakers. So likewise, in our Christian faith, there are these primary core doctrines that are non-negotiable, right? If you do not believe that Jesus is fully God and, and fully man, or you don't believe in, in these key uh, core doctrines of, of sin, of uh, justification by faith, um, then, then you practically do not have Christianity at all. But then um, th there are also other um, secondary doctrines um, that are also important. There are secondary doctrines like the timing and order of the end time events or the mode of baptism. Um, these are, are important. These are good to study and understand. Um, but they might not be the non-negotiables of our faith. These non-negotiables of our faith, as what John had said, make sure that they confess that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, fully God, fully man. We can't miss these truths. So I want to encourage... Um, you, especially for the members of our church, to study and learn what these core doctrines are. All right, justification, sin, the resurrection of Jesus. There were there were there were um, teachings going around that time, and even till now that Jesus did not actually die on the cross, but just appeared to die. Imagine what that means for the gospel if Jesus did not actually die but just appear to to die we would all be in trouble our sins would not have been paid for so i i i want to encourage all of um our, our church and especially our members um to to seek to understand some of these non-negotiables of our christian faith and yes it, it can seem like a lot you know there's, there's so much to learn and understand in this Bible. Like, where do I even start? I think the core doctrines are definitely a good start. Um, and, and getting a good grasp, grasp on, on sin and, and um, salvation by grace um, in, in, in Christ alone, through faith alone. And so I, I'd even encourage you to talk to Pastor Allen, talk to Tim, talk to myself, talk to Howie. Um, and we would love to give you resources and the help to continue maturing in the faith. But we cannot just say, oh, I'm, I, I, you know, I, um, I, didn't, I didn't go to seminary, and, you know, I'm, I'm only a Christian for, you know, a couple months. Um, you know, I should be off the hook. There is no off the hook. 
Remember, the first point, every believer must test. And we, we cannot test and discern if we do not understand his word, if we're not diligent in studying God's word. And that leads to our second test, which is the scripture test. John says in verse 5 through 6, They are from the world, therefore they speak from the world. They meaning the false teachers. They're from the world, they speak from the world, and the world listens to them. We, meaning John and the other writers of scripture, are from who? They're from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. In other words, true believers listens to the teachings and the writings of the New Testament authors. In fact, not just the New Testament, but all of Scripture as it is inspired by God. All Scripture is God-breathed. So the primary tool for uh, to know whether a person uh, a preacher, a teacher, a sermon, an author, an artist is of the spirit of truth is by the word of God. I came across this uh, uh, video on YouTube. Um, it was a, uh, a church organization and it was just, it blew my mind, the things that they were, were saying. Um, it was just far from, from scripture. Um, they are saying that you know, hey, I, I am an apostle. I'm an apostle and I have a team of apostles. And because we are apostles, God has given us the same authority that he gave to the New Testament apostles. So that means that I can just stand here in the middle of a sermon and just stop and say, wait, wait, wait hold on. God's speaking to me right now. Okay, God wants all of you to give this church $100 this week. It's not me. God said, and I'm apostle of Jesus, and I have the authority of an apostle. So you guys must obey. And this is what these, these false teachers and false preachers are, are, are saying. I mean, do we find that in the scripture? We don't, we don't find that. The, 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 uh, the office of, uh, uh, of, of apostle is, is over. That, that was just for the New Testament period. And so now you have these preachers and teachers going all around and saying, you know, I have a, I have a word from God. Um, God spoke to me. And they're, they're preaching in this authoritative way, going outside or adding to Scripture. Just because they claim, I'm an apostle, and God spoke to me right now, and this is authoritative teaching. It is far from authoritative teaching. What is the sole authority of our lives? It is the word of God. John MacArthur puts it like this. The completed written revelation of the Old and New Testament is therefore the sole authority by which Christians must test all spiritual ideologies. It is more sure than human experiences or senses. It endures forever. It is trustworthy in every jot and tittle. It is unchanging and eternal. It is the standard of truth, and it is by that standard, with the help of the Holy Spirit, that believers know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. We can't judge a teacher or a message by how it makes us feel necessarily, by how many seats that preacher can fill, 
we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error by using the word of God. And we as a church believe in the sole authority of scripture, sola scriptura. Every teaching must submit to God's word. So if, if what they teach clearly does not align and submit to scripture, then they are most likely a false teacher. And so we need to be diligent in studying God's word faithfully, do we not? It is infinitely more important than, than studying for an AP exam. We must press on to understand the scripture more truly. It's not just about how many verses I can memorize. It's not just how many books of the Bible I can, I can memorize. Because there are a lot of people who, who know scripture. Do you guys remember when Jesus was tempted in, in, in the wilderness? What was one way that Satan was trying to tempt Jesus? He used scripture. He quoted from Psalm 91. And you guys, and, and what did Jesus say? No, you're, you're taking that out of context. Let me show you how to accurately submit to the authority of God's word. If Satan was using scripture to tempt and test Jesus. How much more can any of these false preachers and teachers in our day can simply say the Bible says this and that. And then we might blindly say, oh yeah, they quoted scripture. Therefore, his message must be true. We must press on to understand the scripture more truly and accurately. Why? For the sword of the Spirit that we can use and wield against false teaching is the Word of God. The last test is the fruit test. The question is, is this preacher or teacher bearing good fruit? Jesus said in Matthew seven fifteen to 16 Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. How will you recognize them? By their fruits. So don't just listen to what they preach on the pulpit or write any book or speak on a podcast. Observe their lives. How do they live out the gospel off the stage? How are they investing their time and their money into the kingdom? Are they loving others and living a life of faithful obedience and surrender to the Lord? Or are they taking all of the proceeds to buying a million-dollar jet? False teachers are from the world. They speak from a worldly perspective, and the world listens to them. And the Apostle Paul warns Timothy of this. He says in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 3 to 4, The time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching. And that time has already come. People are not going to endure the truth and sound teaching. But having itching ears, what are they going to do instead? They're going to accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. And will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. This is the reality of our world today. This is the sad reality of many professing believers in our world today where it's about hey let me let me 
try this preacher. Let me let me try this teacher. And if they suit my beliefs, then great. I'm gonna continue sitting under the preacher because they make me feel good about myself. They're not telling me that I have to surrender my life to to Jesus, you know, because that's too hard. I don't, I don't want to give. You know, my time, my, my talent, my treasures to the kingdom of God, to the church. Yeah, I just want to be a law-abiding citizen, pay my taxes, and just do the best I can, and then add a little bit of faith, add a little bit of religion. And if a preacher is telling me, no, you, Jesus is your life, then I don't, I, don't want, I don't want to hear that preacher. I want to go to something that, that can scratch my itching ears. I want to accumulate preachers and teachers and books for myself that can suit my own passions. What is the result? They will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. One of the memory verses that my D group has uh, memorized is that Jesus is the only, he's the way, he's the truth, he's the life, and no one comes to the Father except through who? Through him, through Jesus. Jesus is not a way, a truth. He's not a, a way to just one of two or one of many ways to the Father. He is the only way. And a lot of people don't like that. Why does Jesus have to be the only way? Why can't I do it another way and still go to heaven? And so if there is someone who's teaching that Jesus is a way, but you can also choose a different path, oh great, I'm going to go follow this teacher. I'm going to go follow this preacher. I'm going to start reading his books because it makes me feel good. It suits my own passions. But the reality is that it's you're wandering away from the truth, the life, and the way. False preachers do not bear the fruit of true godliness. They might look godly on stage, but they do not bear the lasting fruit of true godliness. Rather, they attract followers who are also like them, also worldly. But I think the fruit test also applies, can apply to us as well. So, of course, we can look at a, um, a, a, a teacher, test the spirit, see, hey, is, is there fruit? Or are they just all talk on the stage? But I think it's also a good test for ourselves. So when we're listening to um, a, a sermon, a teacher, a preacher, or reading a book, listening to a podcast, a great question to ask ourselves is, is this pushing me to know Christ more truly? And is it pushing me to love Christ and love others more deeply? Because if it's not helping you bear fruit, then what is it helping you do? So is this preacher, is this author, is this teacher who's claiming to be from God, is it helping me to know Christ more truly? Is it helping me to love him as he is more deeply and to love others more deeply? So let me just uh, recap these three tests real quick. So the first one we have is do they confess sound doctrine? Do they submit to the authority of Scripture? 
and do they bear fruit? So maybe some of you are anxious about this whole discerning spiritual truth from error. This, this sounds so intellectual, um, especially now that I've reminded you how serious spiritual error and its consequences can be. I mean, John says that the spirit of the Antichrist is coming and is already here. That's what he says in verse 3. We live in a world that's flooded with false teaching, faulty worldviews. And on top of that, we have our own sinfulness to deal with. This can seem very burdensome. Right? You might be thinking, well, we're not like you, Rich, or we're not like you, Pastor Allen. You know, we, we don't have a master's degree in you know, theological studies. And, you know, I don't know Greek or, or Hebrew. I know some English, you know, but, but, but I, I don't have, a, I don't have a, a master's or a bachelor's. Heck, I don't even have my GED, right? Oh, I failed geometry. I can't even, I can barely discern between a triangle and a hexagon. How am I supposed to discern between spiritual truth and spiritual error, right? The things of God. Well, here's some massive encouragement for us. Take a look at our passage. Smack in the middle of this passage, verse 4, John says what? Little children, you are from God and have overcome them. You've overcome the spirit of the Antichrist. Why? For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Amen? I like how this uh, commentary puts it. The opposition of Satan... The world system that daily assaults us, false teachers that seek to seduce us, faulty worldviews that attempt to confuse us, and our own sinfulness that yearns to enslave us is divinely ordained to fail. Why? Because we have a champion, a victor, a source of power that all of these enemies from hell cannot overcome. So if you are truly born again and a child of God, you can have assurance that no false teaching and no spirit of the Antichrist can ultimately snatch you from the Father's hand because he is greater than all. Is the world strong? Yes, but our God is infinitely stronger. Are false prophets wise? Yes, but our God is infinitely wiser. Is Satan great? Yes. But our God is infinitely greater. And this one who is infinitely stronger and wiser and greater now and forever is in you. And he will never leave you nor forsake you. Beloved, since you have the spirit of the living God in you, then you have everything that you need that pertains to life and godliness. If you are truly in Christ, then rest on this truth that the good work that God has started in you, he will bring it to completion. This encouragement does not nullify our need to be persistent in studying scripture. Um, we need to be diligent, but hopefully this encouragement, knowing that the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God, the Spirit of truth, is in us and is going to guide us and, and, and teach us and give us understanding. 
You know, I'm so proud, I said earlier, um, but I'm, I'm just so grateful to call Watermark Fellowship my home church. And not just because, you know, we, I mean, of course, because we love each other and, and, and you know, we love food. And it's not just because we have, we have potlucks and, you know, even though those are amazing, you know, I love, I love potlucks. But when I met Alan four or five years ago, and I came to this church, I knew I belonged here primarily because of this church's deepest desire to preach God's word faithfully and truthfully. Let's not be a people who are easily swayed by any preacher or teacher or, or book that simply sounds good or is popular, but let's be diligent in studying his word, sharpening our understanding of the Bible pouring our lives into knowing Christ more truly and loving him more deeply. Today is a very special day. Not only is it Pastor Allen's birthday, um, but 504 years ago, to this day, October 1st, 1517, Martin Luther nailed the 95 Theses on the Wittenberg, or it's actually pronounced Wittenberg, church. And one of the theses simply stated, the church's true treasure is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I just love about this church is that we treasure the gospel of Jesus Christ. Reformation Day is the day that the light of the gospel broke forth out of darkness. It was the day that the reformers helped the church rediscover God's word as the only supreme authority for faith and life, and leading the church back to the glorious doctrines of justification by faith alone, by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. So since it's Reformation Day, I thought it would be fitting that we close with a prayer by Martin Luther. So join me in prayer. Almighty and eternal God, we pray that you would uphold us through the right knowledge of your divine word through your Holy Spirit. Grant us peace and health as we do the work of our callings with your blessing through your dear Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.